Welcome to episode two of The Happy Room by reallifechic.com. This episode continues my conversation with my friend Curleen, with whom I had not spoken for over a decade. Why did it take a life-changing event for me to forgive? We pick up where episode one ended. I just felt like I've had experiences in my life where I have loved people so deeply that, you know, and I think during that phase, it was just like going, it's like multiple things, but going through it with you and just feeling like this is somebody I love. This is like my sister. Like, you know, like even when we fight and I'm like, oh girl, you get on my nerves, but it's not a permanence to that. Right. You working my nerves for that, you know, however long and we'll get back on the phone, like nothing ever happened. And I think that's part of why we never discussed certain things. Cause like, ugh. but I just, I think that one could not be brushed under the rug. We needed to evaluate our relationship and who we, we were, but I was so deeply hurt by what transpired that I just could not, I just felt like I was going to leave myself open to more hurt. Right. And being, you know, like if I talked to you again and we went back to being friends, that would just be me saying it's okay. Like the behavior was okay. And that's the way I saw it. So I thought that in order for me to preserve myself and preserve my sanity and preserve my own heart, it was best to just be like, this is it. I just can't keep going over this and I can't keep doing it. And so it was like a breakup, you know, it was, worse than like a boyfriend breakup because those you don't grow up with a boyfriend you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so that so that time was particularly hard and then having to navigate you know being a new wife and things like that without that friendship I just needed to learn how to do that and I don't know that I've ever a hundred percent gotten over it. Right. And I think I've, I've sort of, I've sort of kept touch with you in the periphery a little bit and you can hear my, the kids, I'm pretty sure at this point they're coming up for bath time, but um, yeah, I just, those moments with like my kids and you seeing them and like, you know, those sort of things, like I, I, I would think like, Oh, you know, like, it would be it, it would have been cool like because these are things that we talked about doing and being there for each other during those moments mm-hmm. and we weren't and so it was like you know and this is also how I found out about your diagnosis because like there are people in my life you know that we know mutually who would be like yeah Curleen's doing okay or you know things like that I would try not to even know what was going on with you as much as possible only because I just didn't I, it was just like a, a sore spot and I just yeah. didn't want like, Oh, I'm peering. I just did. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to have like a break. <clears throat> so I wouldn't be like longing for a relationship that wasn't there. Cause I really felt like you didn't, like I said, I, I felt at the time um, that it didn't matter to you the way it mattered to me. And I just didn't want to leave myself to being super vulnerable um, just That's funny because I, um, I think I came to that conclusion was when justice, when you were, um, I think you just had justice, and I wanted to visit, and I was like, 
well, okay, I, I didn't know where you stayed, where you didn't stay. I was just like, Augustine, I want to come and visit. And I think I reached out to you, and then you were like, well, yeah, you can come. Oh, I thought you were staying at a hotel. I'm like, why would I be staying at a hotel and I don't know nothing about New York? I'm coming to see you, and that's when I realized that, okay, our friendship is, like, long gone dead or whatever and stuff like that. And I just was like, okay. And I was like, um, I just, I'll um, cancel the trip, and I, I won't come. And then that's that's when I think, how old, how old is Justice? Nine? Ten? He's going to be nine this year. Nine. Yeah, and that's, I think that's when I was like, all right. Um, so it's been longer than nine years that we've, that we we haven't really, like, um, had, like, you know, a friendship type of thing, like how we were before. But that's when I, when Justice was born, that's when I was like, all right, I think this is done. Like, that's literally when I had in my head that, that it was done. And that's when I started to, like, really mourn you again. Because you got married, and then I think a couple of years later, you got you guys got pregnant or whatever. And then that's when I was just like, all right, I have to, like, step away from this. Because a relationship is two ways. And if it's not being reciprocated, then you just have to walk away regardless if you want to or not. And then that's that's what it was. But like you said, you know, like, um, Tia, like, she'll keep up with you or whatever and I just kindly told her I don't want to talk about it because like how you were feeling like um I don't you know I don't want to remember things like that because it, it's just so hurtful you know because like I always it was always me and you per se um and I and I guess I never saw like how much like I always thought that I was the one that needed you per se and I had to find ways to like you know, not be so needy with you. So I think that's when I started like finding a different identity in college and then that that became problematic. But I didn't even know like that because even with Tia and our relationship, I live in Atlanta, but I saw her when I saw her and I was okay with that because that's how she is per se. But then when I need her, she'll come running because I had to learn like, listen, hey, you're right here. Um, you know, you're 45 minutes away, but I, I need to see you, you know, like I need, I need you around because the same type of things that you were saying when you were in Miami and I was right there and we never really hung out. Like, that's how it was with, with Tia. I hung out with her, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't like, and it's not like there was a man or whatever in the picture. Cause I was like single as ever in Atlanta, but then I had to learn how to make new friends per se. But then I, I just had that conversation with her and I was just like, you can't be in, in Georgia and I can't be in Georgia and we don't see each other. Like, I, I need that friendship. I need that consistency where I get to have lunch or we hang out or whatever or do all the stuff that you like to do, museums or whatever, or whatever I like to do. Like, we need to come together and, and we had the same situation. But I think it's just, I don't know. Her personality is more, more of like, okay, even though I don't see you, I still love you. And I get it, but I thought you were like that because I thought that I was the one that 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 needed to like always be around you, and you were probably like, "Oh my gosh, this is so annoying," <laughs> type of thing. But I never, I never dreamed in a million years that you would like like you needed my friendship as much as I needed your friendship. But that's life. Life is funny, but that's exactly. That's how I saw it. I saw it like, well, I'm the one that's needing here. Like, you know, I need to, to be in your presence or whatever and stuff. And I had to, like, find a way of, of being nonchalant about it. But I never, you know, I, I, I guess because you 
you know how to wear your poker face so well that I never saw that. I didn't pick it up. I think I didn't, yeah, I didn't even see it that way. I think that's interesting because I, I saw, I, yeah, you definitely were much more of a free, free spirit <laughs> than I was. I, and so I didn't see it as you needy, being needy at all. Honestly, I just thought, I really saw it as the opposite um, the whole time. Like I'd never, I would have never thought that. But um, in, like with the situation with when, um, just was born it was it was I didn't I don't think I saw it I definitely didn't see it that way I didn't again we didn't talk about the stuff so we didn't see where we were coming from um and so I think yeah that would have been you know a good point to talk about and um I think that also leads us into talking about how it was that we recently got back to talking to each other um so we're going to take a break and then talk about that. <laughs> so I want to talk about us recently getting back in touch and talking to each other. I saw you last year at um, our mutual friend's mother's uh, funeral. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the crazy thing was, like I was like so sad and so sad for her. And, you know, I honestly was like, in that moment, I thought to myself, I'm ready to forgive Curleen. I was like, I want to have a conversation with you and I'm ready to, to talk to you. Um, and lo and behold, you actually were at the funeral. <laughs> and which was so crazy. And I remember standing there, it's like drizzling when we were at the gravesite. And then there you were. And I was just like, Jesus, you you really <laughs> like I, I see you. <laughs> I see what you're trying to do here. I said it and okay, okay, I see you. And so I literally had a whole conversation with God, like in my head at that time. But it also was, you know, in the moment of sadness, it was also like good seeing you because it made me feel like <clears throat> this was right even with um with our friend she um i remember it was a while back and she was like so you don't talk to us i was like no we don't talk or whatever she's like so you guys aren't gonna try like it was years ago um and i was like no i don't think so and then and that was it like but she like you know she's not pushy so she just left it alone and stuff and then i guess that that brought to me because I, I didn't know you know who you talk to who you don't talk to and I was like oh she still talks to um to Anyagi or whatever and stuff for her to ask me that and I was just like okay but it's so ironic that you said that you said you know you were having a conversation with God per se because I'm like maybe she was praying for us too who knows because she did ask like yeah. you know when are we um you know are we ever going to talk because the last time I saw her mom alive um, ben and I was coming from Atlanta, and we both were on um, Delta's um, um, the flight from on Delta, and we both came like it was like her and her mom and me and him. And when I got the news, I was so shocked because I'm like, no, I just saw her. What are you talking about and stuff? And um, so I guess maybe our friend was praying for us. Who knows? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move on to talking about um well i guess 
we could talk about, I just want to state briefly, like, you know, I, even though we, we touched base early last year, I think I, I had thought, okay, I'll, I'll touch base more often, but I think with Corona happening <laughs> and then just getting into, cause I think it was like the next month. Right. Um, and getting sucked into like work and then home and all of what was going on. It didn't really, like, I really felt like disconnected from just life, to be honest. And um, I, I didn't really do a very good job of trying to stay in touch. And also I think it was baby steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and also thinking, oh, okay, we know we'll, we'll eventually have like time and stuff like that, which takes me to, you know, how we are now back in touch and we've only been back in touch since like the last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that happen? Right. (laughs) Um, so a friend of mine that you also know, um, she sent me a message and she said, cause I'm not really on Facebook very much. Um, and she said, um, that you had a cancer diagnosis. And I think I was like, what? Because it was just sort of like, you know how, when you step out in the cold and you just, your nasal passage is just like, (laughs) And it's like, you know, you get like the ice in your face kind of thing. Um, It was a similar thing to that because I I think, I think it sort of brings you to life is not waiting on you to finish some assignment or some task or whatever to get your stuff together because life is happening as you're living, right? Um, That to me was just, I was, I was, it was pretty shocking and even then I just, I, I needed time to process that. Like, what do you mean? Like, I think Herlene's fine. Like, are you sure? I think that was like one of my things, like, well, how do you know that? Are you sure? Like, did you hear that from someone or did you hear it from her? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we've since had a conversation about, you know, we've talked about your journey since during the time that um, somewhat, um, since we have been out of touch with each other and did some catching up and I know you are, you are starting some new ventures. For example, you have ambitious girl vibes on Instagram and you're working on a podcast as well as blogging. So I'd like to talk about that, um, because that all basically ties in to the journey that you're going on now. Right. And I honestly feel like all of that other stuff that happened, you know, I'm glad we talked about it tonight, but I, all that other stuff just seemed unimportant, was completely unimportant and minuscule. But I also know like you're also going through a journey of your own that is just like monumental. And so I want for you to um, talk to us about that. And so we're going to do that after this break. Okay. (laughs) You are listening to The Happy Room by reallifechic.com. Stay tuned and let's talk. One of the things that you um, had said was, you know, the IVF um, 
getting, at least in our conversation personally as well, like the IVF basically in a way, even though it was bothersome, but it became your lifesaver. Um, can you talk to us about that? Like how, how did the IVF lead to getting your cancer diagnosis? Um, yeah, because with IVF, what they do is they have to run tests on you, right? So um, I know I was going to Atlanta and it was COVID. So I was like, I'm going to find the clinic down here that's going to accept an outpatient. Even with this IVF journey, um, I'm going to share this. It has really nothing much to do with anything. But um, I was dating somebody um, in Atlanta, not even really dating someone that I knew per se. We were kicking it, whatever. Um, but when I was in Georgia, I was like, I was, I was dating. I wasn't really serious with the person I was with or whatever. And I shared with this young man because he had wanted to be in a relationship with me. And I shared with him, um, that what he's looking for may not fit with me because, um, I am not, you know, I'm, I'm possibly not able to have children. So him um, being who he is or whatever and stuff mentioned that to another young lady and she brought that up to my attention like um, she pretty much used um, my inability of producing children naturally um, to my face I guess for whatever reason I don't know because we didn't really even have any beef um, it was just I was coming because um, that same guy he was gracious enough when I was flying in um, really early in the morning to go to my doctor's appointment. Because when I used to live in Atlanta, I would just drive. But then when I moved, decided to move back down to Florida and stuff, um, I was going to my cousin's house. But at that time, she wasn't home. But I still had a key to his place. And I didn't know that he had a girlfriend. I was just going there to, like, you know, stay out of the, I think at that time, it was Super Bowl weekend. Atlanta was like 12 degrees per se. And I was like, hey, I'm going to, um, I had to bring back your key anyways. So I'll stay here until like nine o'clock and then um, head to my doctor's appointment. But then that's when I saw that young lady and she was like, um, she pretty much read my rights. But then through that, um, you know, that pain of like him telling someone about my story and I didn't know why he did or whatever, but that's, I think that's where I found the strength to like, talk about it because I had to own it right um I never really wanted to have children um th the thought was cute but <laughs> I wasn't one to be like oh yeah I wanted you know this and that but I did I did talk about it because it was cute and it was just something that you're supposed to do right when you're a woman and then um and I never met anyone to even like throw me into that until I met Ben but um Ben already had children of his own so, but his thing was, why don't you have kids or whatever? And, and I was like, cause I didn't want any. So, and that's what that was until one day he told me, he was like, no, I, I feel like you're such a good person. And the only way, the only way that you'll be able to receive love, like that is through your children. He was like, because kids, you know, give you this type of love that humans on this earth, you know, can't really give you or whatever. And I think that's what spoke to my heart. Um, about this baby journey. So I was playing around from 2016 to 2018 because I was just like, um, sir, I don't know you. Um, I just met you in 2015. I'm not trying to have any kids with you. So, and we were just talking per se. 
And then so when we started getting serious, when um, I moved down here is when I was like, okay, I'll go to the doctor and I'll see what they said. And so that's how I started my, um, my IVF journey. Um, I started going to the doctor and it was actually on a pregnancy scare. We thought that we were pregnant and I was living in Atlanta and then come to find out like all of my numbers were haywire. And up until this day, she probably, the doctor said it probably was a missed miscarriage where it was too early to, um, to even be seen on the P stick. But, um, but my prolactin was high. So she was like, you know, most likely when prolactin is high, it's either you're pregnant or, um, or you something or you're breastfeeding. And I, I didn't have a baby to breastfeed. And then she sent me to a fertility clinic. And then that's when my journey started. But, you know, when you're in fertility, it's like you're knee deep. All you see is the doctor appointments, the blood drawn, um, the ultrasounds every other day, early morning. And I was traveling from from Fort Lauderdale to Atlanta because I lived there at one point and I decided to move back when my mom retired. And then during coronavirus, um, Ben and I started having like, you know, conversations about, well, since we have these embryos and we had um, frozen sperm because he travels back and forth, he does import export. So sometimes he's not here. And I was like telling him <clears throat> my insurance is about to, not be able to cover IVF anymore so I wanted to go somewhere that would be more cost effective for us and then we started um, going to this new place in New York in Syracuse and because it was two years since I did any lab work they told me I needed um, to run labs so during corona we started running labs and um, and then they told me I had polyps and I was really upset because it was just 2019, they removed 14 fibroids out of my body. So I'm like, aren't, aren't polyps in the same area? What are you talking about? And the doctor was like, um, it depends on how they, um, how they did the surgery, whatever case may be. And from there, I went and I had polyps removed, thinking that, oh, okay, this is something that's easy. And then it turned into like, you know, one of, the worst days of my worst months of my life outside of January, um, 2005. But I, I don't know. I don't know how I felt. I felt like I was in that same dark place. Um, and then I started, you know, I started putting things in perspective because I was like, well, if I have cancer, that means that I may not be here long. And, um, he was just like, well, that's not necessarily true, but he was like, Carlene, I know you want to have a baby, but um, you're going to have to think about your life first. And I, and I, I felt so bad because I was like, my life, like, you know, and, and now I'm like, wow, girl, you, you have to think about your life because you're worth living because I just felt like, I want my baby. And he was like, well, you don't, you don't even know if you're going to be able to have this baby. So wouldn't you want to be alive? And like, I literally just, just was like, no, I want my baby. And he was like, you want to be alive to see your baby. So he sent me to um, an oncologist and they were like, I have to do an MRI. And, you know, I have endometrial cancer that's in the lining of my uterus. So that means that 
um, I have tough decisions to make um, in regards to the quality of my life, in regards to if I'm even going to be able to have kids or carry them, you know, so it's just like so many things. And I think that's what bothered me the most, because thankfully, um, when they did the MRI, the guy, one of the things I will never forget, he was like, you know, people like you, um, they they put fear in me. And I was like, why? And he said, because you're so patient. And I said, well, at this point in time in my life, I have to be patient because um, there's nothing else that I can do. It's like, I'm, I'm at, you know, at, at the, at God's beck and call, like whatever he wants. Cause I didn't know what, um, like how advanced it was. I just know that I had cancer. And um, when the MRI showed, he was, you know, it, it was that. And the only good thing is that it didn't spread. It's still focal, but it's something that was in my body for quite some time. He told me that it could have been there, like precancer cells could have been in my lining for five to 10 years because that's how long it takes for it to manifest in your body and show up. So, and then what you said in regards to like how all of the things that we, you know, that we, we, problems that we had or it's like minuscule and that's how I, I saw things, you know, like even with people that, that I may have like, you know, have issues with, it was just like, nah, <laughs> that's not even, that's not even worth it because life is, it's so short. And I knew that even when Dwayne died, but now I really know it because just watching my mom, she literally was burying me before I even took my last breath. That was problematic. And I had to be, strong again like I had to put put that poker face on even though I wanted to like lay in my bed and cry all day or whatever it was just like I had to be strong for my mom and stuff and and not even think about you know all of the things that I'm facing you know and so now um I had some serious serious um therapy sessions and it makes me think too about your relationship with Ben. I don't know him. I've never, you know, met him. I've only known him from our discussions, you know, today and in last week. But one of the questions I was thinking about when you were talking was that this seems to be like girl the best <laughs> relationship for you. You know what I mean? Like this is the person girl. that I wanted for you to have all these years. So, you know, and I'm so happy that you have that you know, at this stage where you have that person who puts you first in their, you know, treats you with the respect and the love that you deserve and that, you know, sees you yeah. for a whole person. For more of Curleen's story, follow at Ambitious Girl Vibes on Instagram. Connect with the Happy Room podcast on Instagram at Real Life Chic. And on the web, visit reallifechic.com. What do you hope to accomplish with Ambitious Girl Vibes? Because I know that's something that you're starting and we mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, and when we talked about it, you did say that you're hoping to, you know, hoping that your story will impact others. So where do you see yourself taking that? When people think, of cancer in women, the first thing they think of is breast cancer. <clears throat> but once I started going into Facebook groups with, um, in regards to this type of cancer, I see it, it can happen young, you know, younger than 24. Like the worst and the best thing that happened to me was Facebook groups. 
because there was one when I joined the first thing that I saw there was like a memorial picture so I'm looking like what and there were young girls they were like 21 20 died of endometrial cancer because sometimes when you catch it you catch it so late so I was like you know what God I'm so grateful that you allowed me to to go through IVF because I used to hate it um, it was like it took up my life. I could never keep weight off. So it's like through the last two years, you'll see I'm smaller and next minute I'm bigger or I'm swollen or whatever. And then I have like a whole bunch of pimples on my face because it's just all these hormonal injections. And, you know, like we'll have to fly. Sometimes it's cold, super cold. It's wet. Come back home. It's hot. And then I catch a cold. And then just being away from my family um, during Christmas um, it was just a lot, but then I was just like, you know what, but Ben has been the biggest cheerleader because he was like, you know, when you want something, you go after it and you keep trying until, until you can't anymore, until you make that decision that it's no more. Um, I decided to take a break from the IVF world because of course the cancer and I had to figure out what I was going to do. They did allow me to do a last retrieval when I went to New York last year. But that in itself was a disaster. There weren't any, um, we didn't, re we retrieved two eggs, but um, only one was viable. And then um, it was like, you know, we did the whole sperm egg thing and then that, it didn't grow. So that brought me back into another spiral. And I was just like, I have to, I have to find my way out of this. And I was like, well, your first thing is you have to focus on you and you have to love yourself. And I think that's what bothered me the most because when the doctor told me um, to think about myself and I did it and I was like, what are you doing? You know, this if, even if you get pregnant, it's still a 50-50 chance until this baby is is um, earth side. So you, of course, you have to think about yourself. Of course, you have to focus on you. And so I've just been relentless of um, focusing on myself and just being kind to myself because you know, when I look back, like you were saying earlier, you know, um, I am deserving of good things. And I never, I never felt like that. And I think it, it's because of a lot of my traumas and stuff, but that doesn't mean that I'm less than, you know, and um, I just continuously focus on that. And I said that um, I'm also going to help women and speak about it because there's a lot of black women that go through fertility issues and some of them have different type of cancers themselves and, and, you know, and, and they don't talk about it. I don't know if it's because of like stigma, whatever, I don't know, but <clears throat> I'm like, I'm going to be very vocal about it. My family had a problem before because um, our friend saw, saw my post when I, when I told the Facebook world that, um, that I have cancer and I think I told them like probably last month or whatever, but I've been dealing with it ever since August of last year, but I had to be in a space of healing to even get there, to be able to talk because we wouldn't been able to have this conversation because even though I tear up and stuff, but before it was like going to the grocery store with shades on because I'm crying, exercising, I'm crying, you know, talking at, <clears throat> in meetings at my job, I'm crying, like it didn't matter. I was eating. I was crying, but I had to hide it because my mom literally was like wilting away. And I was like, mom, you know, I'm going through this and I'm living through it, but you have to be strong for me. Like you can't sit here 
and mourn me or feel like you want to die. I was like, you don't think that I feel the same, but I have to be stronger than that. How has this diagnosis impacted your other relationships? You know, you said your mom was, is, you know, basically going through it with you, but have there been changes in the way, you know, you deal with people and they deal with you? How has that changed since finding this out? I think I'm more intentional. I'm very intentional with my relationships now. The ones, you know, that I have around and stuff. And and I just, and, and I enjoy being around my friends. Like when I see them, I see them. Because those, that's, those are things I think about of like, wow, if this, you know, if this thing was worse, you know, I wouldn't be here. You know, like I know eventually I would have to die, but I didn't think that it would have to be something of this nature you know so it made me more intentional I'm gonna pray and you know I know you're working towards you know your journey through that and I know you're praying as well that this is just you know one of the events of your life not the life ending event you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um because I I think too the fact that as you said you're able to catch it as early and going through the IVF, and it's, you know, funny, like, a, you're going through a certain process, and that process is actually taking you to another one, and we often don't see how things in our lives connect, but this was definitely without, if with, if not for the coronavirus, and you needing to change where you were going, you know, that you've been going to for years, and they never caught this, and you basically going through IVF, to be able to, you know, have an early diagnosis, then, you know, you might not be in the space that you are currently. You know, your diagnosis isn't who you are. And that's, that's one of the, that's the biggest message that I would want someone, you know, a young woman or older woman to understand, like there's still life after that. You have to find that drive. You have to find your reason of living. And you have to live, you know, live it out to the fullest. Like I always used to do the hashtag live, love, laugh. But I really mean like live, like, you know, because nothing is promised. I would never thought in a million years that I would be part of this, you know, this group. <laughs> I'm I'm an infertility warrior. I'm a um, quote unquote cancer survivor, even though I don't feel like I'm a cancer survivor, but that's what, that's what they say. You know, you have cancer and you're surviving it. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Happy Room by reallifechic.com. I thank Carlene for her tremendous courage and her openness in joining me on this podcast. After listening to episode one, Carlene and I spoke and she explained all those years ago when she reached out and asked me to also take responsibility. She was seeking some sort of acknowledgement or confirmation that she was not solely responsible for the demise of our relationship. I didn't see it at the time, but after this conversation and a week of introspection, I want to offer my friend an apology. Carlene, I was too wrapped up in my own feelings. I did not see you. Instead, I judged you. For that and for my role, I take responsibility. I am truly sorry.
Follow, like, and share The Happy Room by reallifechic.com. On Facebook at reallifechic.com, on Instagram at reallifechic, and on the web reallifechic.com.